Before I begin, let me share with you a quotation from the first session that I didn't even have time to get to that I really think synthesizes uh, what we are about. And please remind me to tell folks who come in to pick up the material for this uh, seminar. If you're just coming in, pick up the material for the seminar and come sit towards the front so I don't have to... I, don't, I just feel so far and high up there. I'd just rather be closer here. This is a quotation from the ninth volume of the Testimonies, which is literally a vision that Ellen White saw of what the church would look like at the end of time. Wouldn't you like to see that? A snapshot of a pic, like a video, a picture of what the church will look like right before the second coming. She says this, In visions of the night, representations pass before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Many were praising God. The sick were healed and other miracles were wrought. A spirit of intercession was seen, even as was manifest before the great day of Pentecost. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifested. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be lighted with the heavenly influence. Great blessing were received by the true and humble people of God. It's an amazing picture. You see a, a church that is on its knees, confessing their sin, but yet out living a life of evangelism with their neighbors and, and people that they contact with. And God was with them in not only uh, protecting them, but also giving them the Holy Spirit to make it effective. I believe God is talking to us to be a part of that movement now, don't you? around the world in your neighborhood to be involved in this great light that is supposed to encompass the world. And that's what we're here for. Uh, at GYC, we're also here in this seminar to talk about this whole idea of evangelism being more than just a campaign for two weeks or whatever. It is a lifestyle that should encompass uh, the culture that we live every day. But before we begin today, right now's presentation, let's pray. Lord in heaven, again, we invite you to be here we realize that spiritual things must be spiritually discerned and we need your Holy Spirit to guide us. But we're not here to learn facts, Lord. We want to be challenged by your Spirit to help us become more like Jesus and his disciples who turned that world upside down. We pray that you will help us, Lord. You've given us an important mission. Use us. And equip us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Preparing for the harvest now. Let me say that the process by which a person goes from unbelief to belief is best described as a journey. It's a journey. A faith journey, we could say. In this journey, the Lord has, I believe, ordained Man ordained his body, the church, to serve as his hands, to serve as his feet, to guide and to lead and to touch and to encourage lost souls towards that living faith in Jesus Christ. Very rarely do you even have an, you have an experience where, like, like Saul of Tarsus, when he was going to Damascus and boom, a light shines and, uh, 
and he is converted. He is comes he comes face to face with the man he was persecuting, Jesus Christ. And sometimes people say, well, that's how conversion is like. It's all about, you know, uh, bells and whistles and lights and it's just this wonderful feeling. And at times it is. But I would suggest to you, if you look at the life of Paul, that the Lord was already moving him along a journey before he was he took that trip to Damascus. He was seeing the faith of Peter and John. He was seeing the faith of Stephen as he was being, you know, uh, stoned. He was working on him through the Holy Spirit. It's a process. It's a journey. And he does not often call upon the angels to help in that process. He calls upon his body, the church, to be a part of that process. Remember like Andrew. Remember when he led Peter to Jesus? Saying, you know, we have found the Messiah. We are called to lead others to that same source of life and that same source of hope. We have talked about the last couple sessions that the reality is that in today's society, in the last 20 or 30 years, there has been a tremendous specialization in the Adventist church where when we talk about evangelism, we think about the professional evangelist or we think about, well, it's those only who have been ordained the pastors. And this has hurt our church greatly because when you look at the places in the world where the church is truly growing, it is where lay men and women own the message and the mission. They realize that they are the ones called by God to take this last day message and share it with their neighbors, share it with their family, share it with their co-workers. In other words, to lead people to Jesus. It's everyone's responsibility. But too often, more often than not, I should say, people will follow us to Jesus only if they trust us. That makes sense, doesn't it? Only if... They, only if we have a real relationship with them. Uh, let me give you an example. My, when I first met my wife, I was, I think I shared this earlier, uh, previous session, I, I was on my second date with her, literally, just getting to know her. And I knew that this was the woman that I wanted to marry. I just knew it. So on my second date, question, did I invite her, ask her to please marry me? Did I invite her to marry me on my second date? No. Don't worry, I wasn't crazy. <laughs> I was not crazy. Why didn't I? If I knew this was the one for me, and I just knew it. I even went and told my best friend. I said, hey, it's not a matter of who now. It's a matter of when. But I didn't tell her that. Why? Because she did not... Tr- I mean, she, we had not developed any trust. We had not developed a relationship. Do you think if I invited her to marry me on my second, on our second date to Taco Bell... She was going to, she was going to, 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 uh, say yes? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. I had to develop trust. I had to develop a friendship. I tried. I had to, you know, in a book called The Externally Focused Church, which I highly recommend, uh, the author, Rick Russo, says this, to tell the truth, we must show the truth. Now you think about that. Does that make sense? Can you imagine somebody coming to you and talking about the love of Jesus in one minute and the next minute, boom, they're talking about they're cussing and they're they're uh, you know up gossiping and they're doing all kinds of unloving, unthoughtful things? It makes sense, doesn't it? So in order to tell the truth, which we believe that there needs to be truth, we must show the truth. Jesus said it this way. He said, 
by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, it's so logical when you think about it. If I tell my wife as I was courting her that I love her and I love her, but I treat her in a way that does not show that truth of my love, there's a dissonance there, isn't there? And uh, so what I'm getting at is that in in the journey of faith, God is using you and me to show the truth as well as tell the truth, to connect with people, to build that relationship with people. Remember what Sister White said about Jesus' way of doing evangelism. Christ's method alone, she says, will give true success in reaching the people. She goes on to say, The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. There's something here you need to keep in mind. When you, when you are living a lifestyle of evangelism, you cannot live in a fortress on top of a mountain. In other words, Jesus went out and mingled with men. He mingled with women. And He showed His sympathy for them and ministered to their needs. And then He won their confidence. You see, this is that relationship. It's that journey of trust. And then, once He had established His credibility as a person of love, as a person that could be trusted, He then would say to them, follow me. Follow me. That is the step that we need to do. And this last session, we talked about the importance of evangel living as a culture being lived out in community. We talked about the myth that says you can do evangelism on your own, by yourself. Generally speaking, we saw from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that God calls us to develop a team, a community that supports each other in developing this outward focus of of evangelism. And sowing, which is the first part of the cycle of evangelism, sowing, reaping, and then retaining, all of that has to be done in community, as a fellowship. We talked about the Weight Watchers. Remember that? Why do Weight Watchers get together every bit? To encourage each other to attain their ideal weight. But actually, right, we're in the same way. We're trying to change our culture from doing evangelism maybe once a month or once a year to living a lifestyle of evangelism. We need support for that. And I encouraged you last time to, to organize yourselves into teams and, and to work together in order to live out this lifestyle of evangelism, which is sowing, reaping, and retaining. Right now in this seminar, we want to focus specifically on sowing. How is it that we get into the harvest and develop those relationships? Because as I said before, sowing is literally 70 to 80% of the work of evangelism. Did you hear me? Sometimes we think, well, let me preach. I want to preach. I want to preach. Well, yes, that's, that takes work and it takes preparation. But sowing is where the, the, the grunt work is. How many of you have been with Share Him internationally, overseas possibly? Okay, we have one man that walked in. Good. When you go to El Salvador or to Tanzania, do we do any sowing? The church there, before you get there, is doing the sowing. They're the, bo- the ones doing the groundwork. When you come there, you, are been, you have been tasked to do the work of the reaping. And so sowing is this connecting with other people, building this trust. It is leading people into a genuine relationship with ourselves and based on that trust, leading them into a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And this 
takes time and it takes effort and it has to be deliberate. Do you know why it has to be deliberate? Because if you're like me, you're busy. Anybody here bored stiff? I don't think so. If you're a student, if you're working, you're busy. And so if you are not going to set aside deliberate effort to meet with a team and connect with real people on your interest list that you're praying for, that you're working with, it will not happen. In an outreach team, we recommend that you develop an interest list of everybody you want to pray for and work for in the next six months. Literally, names of people. One, two, three, four, five. The outreach team that I'm on, we have about 20 names that we pray for every day and that we're trying to connect with and to develop relationships with. And then we recommend that you make appointments on a calendar. Say, you know, we're going to invite this, these two couples to come and roast hot dogs with us on this date so that we can spend time with them. Because if you are not deliberate about that, guess what? It just is not going to happen. Sewing is the process of connecting, developing genuine relationships. And if we don't do this important work of relationship building, trust building, the harvest will be very, very small. It's so important. So sowing, remember the Bible advice. But this I say to you, he said, he who sows sparingly will what? Also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Makes sense, doesn't it? And so I said earlier in my previous seminar that 70% at least of your effort, your prayer, your work, your, is all in the sowing, developing the harvest, pruning and, and nurturing those relationships for eternity. That's where it's at. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. But what exactly is sowing? Let's talk about this in a little bit more detail. How is it that we reach people? How is it that we build trust with people? First, I'm going to give you, you some different examples. First of all, you have to be with people. Duh. A lot of people say, well, that's new. Well, it isn't new. And you know it isn't new. You have to be with people. As one writer said, you have to, if we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, we've got to get out of the salt shaker. <laughs> and we've got to be on the food that we're trying to savor, right? That we're trying to... But oftentimes, I'm telling you folks, we get into our own little routine and we, get, we stay with people only that we feel comfortable with, that share our values, which I, I can understand. But if we're supposed to, to, to do sewing work, we have to be with people. I just spent a, an hour and a half with a couple that we're developing a relationship and trust with. And let me tell you, folks, some of the things that you deal with in those relationships are, are, are very uncomfortable. I remember a couple that we were developing a relationship with when we were missionaries in China. They were from Canada. They had two little kids. We had two little kids. We connected. They were foreigners and spoke English. We spoke foreigners and spoke English. They were totally agnostic. No church, no religious background. And we would go and, and visit different places, even go on vacation together. And I remember one time sitting there at a restaurant, and this guy takes a beer, pours it into a cup, and hands the cup of beer to his two-year-old son to drink. And I'm like... Now, you could say to me, Bob, you shouldn't be going out with people like that. Especially when my son is sitting on the other side looking at this guy, you know, handing beer off to his other son. Actually, the son was about four years old because he was the same age as my son. Hey, I was trying to be the salt. We were trying to be the salt with these people, you know. 
And, and sometimes you have to be around people that don't necessarily make you comfortable. Do you think Jesus was always around comfortable people? No. Not at all. So the first principle is so obvious, but we have to talk about it. And that is you've got to be with the people you're trying to reach. That means you might have to give up a Saturday night with your gang of friends and spend it with these new friends that you're trying to make. It might mean that you might have to take time to go visit, to go spend time listening to their, their needs. In essence, I'm saying it takes priority. Now, I want to challenge you all to not just process this here, but let it really come down to your heart to say, you know, how have I done with this? Am I with people? Or am I just talking about saving the lost? And they're out there and I'm in here. So the first thing we need to do is be with people. Isolationism is just not compatible with evangel living. Would you agree with that? Isolation is not compatible. We've got to have friends who are actually lost in order to reach them for Christ. Second thing we need to realize is what I call, and many people call, divine appointments. And I really like that term. Divine appointments. Every day I wake up, I say, Lord, lead me this day. Lead me this day. Connect me, intersect me with those seeking to know you, Lord, as the Lord and Savior. In other words, here I am. Here's the remote control. I give it to you. Now you turn me right. Turn me left, turn me forward, turn me back. Just put me where I need to be. And then help me be aware of those kind of appointments that you have set up for me during the day. I was talking with, with a guy by the name of Tom this last Sabbath. He is a part of an outreach team in the church where I'm a part of. And we, we have eight different outreach teams. And he said, Bob, I just can't believe it. He said, since we started this outreach team and we're committed to a lifestyle of evangelism, I pray every day, Lord, please show me who I need to witness to or where I need to talk about you and who I need to connect with. He says, it's scary. All the time now, people are coming to me. I see all these opportunities before I never saw them. And he said, Bob, I know why I didn't see him before. It's because I was afraid to pray that prayer. If there's ever a prayer that is that, that comes to pass, it's this one. Lord, show me who you want me to witness to. Now, that does not mean, when I say witness to, it doesn't mean you're going to go around thumping people on the head with the Bible. And it doesn't mean you're going to whip out Revelation 14 and show them that if they don't shape up, they might get the mark of the beast. That is not what I'm saying. You're talking about connecting that person to a source of everlasting life and hope. It might be a personal testimony. It might be giving a, a reason for your faith. It might be that. You never know. That's the amazing thing. But the important thing is having the eyesight to see where God is creating these divine appointments. Just about a month ago, I got on a plane from Memphis, uh, Tennessee, and flew nonstop to uh, uh, Amsterdam. And from Amsterdam, I was going down to do some meetings in South Germany. And uh, I sit down, and here beside me comes a lady. She sits down, and we, I, always, I try to introduce myself to people. Hi, I'm Bob. And her, she gave me her name. And uh, 
I have to be honest with you. I love to read too much. And, and I like airline flights because that's my reading time. And, and I like it during when I'm eating, you know, if I'm traveling when I'm eating, that's my reading time too. But so I sat down, I had my book with me, you know, I'm ready. This is a, a nine hour flight, you know, this is great. So I sit down, she sits down next to me with name, where are you from? Oh, she's from Belgium. And I can hear a very thick uh, French accent. We start talking a little bit about Belgium. And then she, I say, well, what do you do? And then she tells me she's over here. And how about the shopping? And the euro is so strong. She should have brought a bunch more suitcase to buy stuff here. And we go from that to what kind of work she does, the travel. And before long, I'm just chuckling to myself. I said, Lord, I know what you want me to do. So I put my book away. And we spent, I don't know how long, long time talking. And little by little, moving things you know, what do you do? You know, it's amazing. When you ask people, what do you do? What are they going to ask you? What do you do? Yeah. Oh, tell me about your life. What's your journey? What, what, tell me your story. After they finish telling your story, which, by the way, everybody likes to talk about their story, what do they what do? They do? Well, what's your story? Well, where, where, what do you do? What, tell me about yourself. Anyway, of course, we ended up talking about God. We ended up talking about the Bible. And she just came out with a statement that just sometimes I still blows me away when I hear it. She says, I don't need God. She's totally, totally non-Christian. In fact, her, mom, her, her father was a Jewish and her mother was a Catholic. And she had just been turned off against any formal religion. And, oh, she went on and on about how terrible all the traditions and formality, blah, 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 blah. And by this time, we had talked for an hour, two hours, I don't know how long, and I just said to her, come on. I said to you, you need God. And then I talked to her a little bit about the book of John. And Anyway, the Lord just led, connected the dots. It was so neat. And when I finished that long conversation, that I feel, man, that was a waste of time. I could have been reading this whole time. It never works that way. I'm always energized. Isn't that the way it is? Whenever you are sharing your faith and you're on God's agenda, you're spiritually, you grow. Amen? Amen? When you share your faith, you spiritually grow. But what I'm trying to illustrate is that you need to ask for God's eyesight to see where you are, what you're doing. Sometimes I don't say a word on the plane. I don't. But, so, but I'm saying, Lord, am I supposed to say something here? Am I supposed to say something? In a plane, for example, is usually people don't like to talk on planes. They like to have their own space, so I don't push myself. But sometimes it's obvious, like they're waving the flag, talk to me. So we talk. Or, or you're in a restaurant, or you're meeting somebody on the street. We need to be, number two, we need to be conscious, conscious of divine appointments. Have any of you ever had that happen to you? A divine appointment? Where you're like, boy, I'm supposed to be here. And I'm supposed to say something. I'm supposed to say something. And when you do say, and you know, it's not something to be worried about. I mean, it's, sometimes we feel like if we mess up and we say the wrong thing, this person's going to hell. Excuse me, but God is much bigger than the few words that you have to say. Okay, if you, if he, his, if this person's total salvation is dependent on the five sins, sentences you string together, then I just don't believe that. God, if you, if you fumble a bit, God will make sure that it's okay. So don't be afraid of that. Just speak from your heart. Speak from your heart.
So sharing your faith, I believe, works best using the tried and true. I'm sure some of you have seen this method. It's called the Fort Method. Have you heard this? Some of you have shaken your head. It is so simple. What does Fort stamp on? It's an acronym. And I used it on the plane. I used it in Taco Bell just a few months ago. I, sitting, I, mean, I use it all the time. Family, stands, F stands for family. Everybody doesn't mind talking about the family. Right, what, what, you know, what are you doing here? Are you married? Yeah, we have kids. Oh, oh I have two kids. Why don't you talk about family? So where are you from? You lived, you grew up here in this area? Yeah, I've been here for the last 30 years. Never left, man. And you talk about the, what is it like to live in that place, family? What's the next thing? You ask about their family. The second thing... Occupation, occupation. Oh, hey, people like to talk about their work. They either hate it or they love it. Okay, this lady that I talked to, she liked her work. She was telling me about all the interesting people that she meets and, and so forth. And, and uh, sooner or later, they'll ask you too. See, it's a ping pong game. You ask about family, boom, serve. They tell about family, boom, back the ball comes to you. What about your family? So you tell about you. You're developing a relationship. That's how it works. Occupation, boom. They tell you about your occupation. They come out, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a deep sea diver. I'm just kidding. You know, whatever you do. And you tell about it. And you explain. And then the next one, and this is sometimes the one that's a little tricky to see where you can come in, but you just pray, Lord, show me where I need to move into it, is R, which is what? Religion. Religion. Not like... <laughs> there are different ways of going into this. Religion. You know, are you afraid of hell? Not the most, not the best way of going about it. Although, you know what? There might be an occasion where you could say that. One that I've tried before, and it all depends on the context. Is if you were to die tonight, you know, would you, uh, would you have the peace to know that you will have eternal life with Christ? That is especially fitting when you've already had quite a bit of a discussion on different religions. But this religion is not so much of, well, well tell me. Are you saved? Or do you have a relationship with you? Now, this religion question is more of, so, do you, do you practice a faith? Are you a Christian? Or whatever. I remember one time I was sitting on a bus in Kaohsiung, southern Taiwan. And I sat down, and a guy sat next to me, and he could tell I was a foreigner, and they loved to practice their English, right? So they start talking to me. Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm fine, thank you. And uh, we start talking, and, and so I'm like, I go through the fort thing, family, occupation. I say, so, uh, are you a Christian? I said to him, and he said, I'm half Christian. Now, I have never had anybody tell me they were half Christian, but he was so proud. I'm half Christian. I'm like, well, that's cool. Which half? <laughs> half Christian. What do you mean half Christian? Anyway, that really, I chuckled, and we talked, and we said, well, I'm half Christian because... You know, I've gone to church with some friends, but my family's still Buddhist. And so then we unpack that a little bit. So you might get some really interesting, like with the lady, she found out her dad was, was Jewish and, and her mother is Roman Catholic. So, so, uh, and, and how she was forced to go to all this rituals and she was really turned off by all the rituals. And, and we talked about that. And then you see how that goes. You just need to ask, so, so, so do you have a faith? Do you, what is your religious background? And they will begin to talk. And guess what? The ping pong goes this way. And guess what's going to happen next? They're going to say, well, what about you? And that gives a time to tell your story and to lead into the T, which is, guess what? Testimony. And a testimony is not, well, let me quote you 
Psalms 119. Do you have some time? That's not the testimony. The testimony is where you were before Jesus and what it's like now that you know Him. What difference has it made in your life? Um, it might not necessarily take that, that form. It might be very specific. Uh, with the lady on the plane, I'll use that as an example. I, I shared with her the meaning that knowing that God is love and that He's much bigger than rituals. And I talked about the relationship aspect of, of God. And, and she had really not thought about that at all. Share your testimony. Talk to them about their walk, their, about your walk with God, your journey. Ask questions as you're going through it. So remember, the fourth, family. What's the second one? Occupation. Occupation. Ask about their work. R, religion. religion and move in to a T. Sometimes you might start with O and then go to family. So don't be so, oh, I can't talk about that now. We've got to talk about this. You know, come on, be flexible with it. The issue is that you're developing relationship with commonality issues, okay? So we've talked about the fact that we've got to get out of the salt shaker, right? And get to be with people. That's the first thing. Secondly, that we need to be open to, to a divine appointments. The third way to connect with people in living out this evangelistic lifestyle is to practice the fort. In other words, trying to develop conversations that lead to Christ. And the other way is so important in the whole aspect of sowing is prayer. Prayer. Focused, intense prayer for real people. Can I say that again? Focused and intense prayer for real people. Sometimes we say, well, we're going to pray for Minneapolis. Well, we're going to pray for Minneapolis. But you know, Minneapolis is full of people with real names and faces. I think it's very important to pray for real people. And as an outreach team, as you organize this team that keeps each other accountable to a lifestyle of evangelism and is committed to this cycle of evangelism, you organize this team, one of the things you want to do, first things you want to do is develop an interest list. As you get together, the four of you, let's say you could pray and, and say, well, who is it that we want to work for? Well, I have three friends that I go to school with that are not Christians, are not Seventh-day Adventists. Let's put them on the list. You write those names down. You have your cousin that you know lives in town that's not coming to church anymore. You put his name down and then you put, you see, you develop a list of real people and then you begin to pray every day for their salvation. Does, do you think that makes any difference? Praying for real people with real addresses, real needs, absolutely does. Look at, what, look at what it says in Gospel Workers. In times past, there were those who fastened their minds upon one soul after another, saying, Lord, help me to save this soul. Now, is that intentional or what? I love the word fastened. It sounds like, you know, the guy is Velcroed to him. Not gonna, I'm not, I'm not letting go. Reminds me of Jacob, you know, grabbing on to, you know, uh, Christ there, saying, I'm not gonna let you go without giving me a blessing. Fasten on to them. But now such instances are rare, Sister White says. How many act as if they realize the peril of sinners, but how many take those whom they know to be in peril, presenting them to God in prayer and supplicating Him to save them? You see that? In other words, 
taking these people's names to God every day, praying for them intentionally. Let me tell you a story. I was doing a, a rally for outreach teams in the Tennessee area, in, in the Ultua, Collegedale, Tennessee area. And afterwards, a lady came to me and said, Bob, you know, you're talking about prayer. Let me tell you the story. I just heard this last week. It involves a guy by the name of Mr. Greenman. And he lived up in a small town in British Columbia. I don't know if you've ever heard of Lillooet, British Columbia. It's a small town. Lillooet, up there. You know what? It's a small town. Five, six thousand people, possibly. 1996, an evangelist came to town, set up a tent in the summertime. You'd have to do that in the summertime up there, you know, winter. And so summertime, did an evangelistic series. Fifteen people were baptized. When I heard about the story, I couldn't, I, I was a bit skeptical. I got on the phone and called Mr. Greenman and got this story directly from him. It so happens that, that Noah Greenman had no religious background, had no interest, never been in a Seventh-day Adventist church in his life. One of his friends was passing by the tent as they were setting it up, putting out a, uh, uh, the, you know, the sign saying it was going to be a prophecy and so forth. And he said to his, to Noah, hey man, I'm interested in this. Come with me tonight. So he went to these meetings. He was captivated by the Word of God. And he and his friends kept coming. And at the end of this evangelistic series, he gave his heart to Christ, joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and was baptized. Isn't that great? Came, got dressed. His hair is still wet from the baptistry. Goes on Sabbath morning after the baptism to potluck. Beautiful, isn't it? Potluck. And he's walking into the potluck room and an elderly lady walks up to him and says, No, I just want you to know, I'm just so happy that you were baptized. And he says, Thank you so much. He says, I've been praying for you. And Noah said, You've been what? I'd never been to this church before. She says, I know, I know that, but I have been praying for you for months. And she, he says, But do I know you? She said, No, we've never met before, but I've been praying for you and I'm just so glad you made a decision to join this church. Well, Noah was very curious and he said, Ma'am, how is it that you know me? I don't know you. I've never been in an Adventist church before. She says, Well, you might think this is a bit strange. He said, But the Holy Spirit impressed me to take our little wet phone book and to go through and just write down some names that he impressed me and I've been praying for your name for months. When I talked to Noah... He says, Bob, it's more amazing than that. Of the 15 people that baptized, nine of them had been prayed for by name by this saint of a lady. Isn't that awesome? Now, don't tell me that prayer is not an important part of sowing. We need to be on our knees praying for these people as if their life depended on it. Does it depend on it? Yes. Praying that God will intersect, will use you to somehow win these people to Christ. It will connect and create whatever. Pull the rug out of their life from under their feet. Let them be in chaos. Do whatever it needs to happen, but bring them to a relationship with Christ. So one of the key ingredients in sowing is to have a real list of names that you and your outreach team are praying for and develop those relationships, connect with them, pray for them, find ways to, to, to share your personal witness and a testimony, anything that the Lord's going to use you, but be attached to them by prayer. And so the other thing that's important with sowing is pray. Do you have a list of people you're praying for that are lost? Make a list. 
And I encourage you not to go on this journey of evangel living by yourself. Get back to your church, find two or three or four others who want to take this journey with you and meet regularly, pray for these people, connect with them. Do everything you can to prepare them for the next stage of evangelism, uh, evangel living, which is reaping. And like I said in my previous seminar, every six months your outreach team should have an evangelistic meeting. Now you're saying, what? Every six months? How about every six years? Is that okay? Every six months. If you do not have this cycle of sowing, reaping, and retaining going every six months, it will not become part of your culture. It will not be... Folks, I was telling this story at our, uh, earlier about it, how in El Salvador, one church is required to have four evangelistic series a year. A year. So during each, between each of those, what do you think they're doing? Just sitting back? They're visiting. They're giving Bible studies. They're getting, developing relationships. Because they know in three months there's going to be another reaping event. They know in another three months there's going to be another reaping event. As an outreach team, if you're committed to a lifestyle of evangelism, what we're saying is be passionate about sowing because you know that in five months, four months, three months, and two months, you're going to be inviting these people on your prayer list to come to what? Your reaping meeting. That you will be presenting in a home maybe, or at Taco Bell, or at Denny's. We'll talk about that next seminar. How do we do this weeping? How do we do the preaching? How do we do the presentation? But 70% of the work is not that. It's the sowing. It's connecting with real people. It is it's praying for them. Nine of the 15 people, folks, that were baptized in that evangelistic meeting were baptized by a little lady who was impressed by the Holy Spirit to pick those names out of the phone book. God wants to use us to pray people into heaven. Prayer is focused on real people and praying that the Lord will open a way for them to come into a relationship with Christ and to use you to be the means for that to take place. Let me share with you another idea for sowing. It's the connecting principle. How can you be the salt of the earth if you are not connecting with people? We need to connect with people. What people? The people on your interest list. Let me give you an example of this. Say, for example, uh, you, you, um, you, have, you go to Great Clips to get your hair cut every two months. Whether you need it or not, you go there to get your hair cut. And the same lady is the one that cuts your hair. And she has asked you questions. You know that she's a seeker. She's interested. You develop a relationship with, with her, friendship. Well, you know what? You are part of his outreach team, and you guys back there are too. Well, wouldn't it be a good idea if all of you went to Great Clips and took haircuts from that same lady? Why? Because she does a great job? I hope she does. But the reason you're doing that is because you want to connect with her and develop more Adventist relationships with this lady. Does that make sense? So as an outreach team, you don't just have a list of people that are just floating around in abstract... You are saying, okay, now here we have Jim. Now, guys, Jim repairs mufflers. Guys, if any of you have muffler problems, go to Jim. And so all of a sudden, Jim doesn't have one Adventist friend. He's got all of the outreach team guys going to have their cars fixed by Jim. And when it comes time to invite them to a reaping event, guess what? He doesn't have one friend that's an Adventist. He has four friends that he's made. And not only do they go and they they uh, have their muffler fixed, but they know that he likes bowling, so he they go bowling with him. Then you tell your church members to go there 
That's right. You tell your church members to go there too. And, and, and the same, in other words, what you're doing is you're taking your outreach team list and you're trying to connect with them. So not just me, I have a relationship with Jim, but I want the rest of my outreach team members as much as possible to have a relationship of trust with Jim as well. So you're connecting with them. That's the connecting principle. For example, my, um, if you have a hairdresser, like I mentioned, ladies, if you have a hairdresser that's interested, connect them. Remember, the objective is to build trust and friendship and to look for opportunities. Remember that? The divine appointments? To look for opportunities where you can share your faith, where you can bring the conversation around to things of God, to see where they're at and how you can be of service. And then finally, to invite them to what? To come to a reaping event, to hear the truth as it is in Jesus. As I mentioned earlier in one of my sessions, folks, you cannot divorce evangelism from message. Do you hear me? We have been called to preach the three angels' message, not to give people three angels' feelings or, or whatever else you want to call it. We have, we have a message to proclaim. And the three angels' message is not going to be proclaimed by the Baptist down the road or the Methodist. That is the work, it is the mission that he's given the Seventh-day Adventist Church at this time in history. And so when we talk about evangelism, we shouldn't just talk about cooking schools and chip programs. Those are all important. But what is the purpose? You see, God is not interested in people with great cardiac health going to hell. He is interested to use that as a way to show an interest, to develop a relationship, you see, and to connect them then with people in the church and to build trust so that they can hear the message that Jesus loves them and that he's coming very soon. So sowing, besides all these personal things that we've been talking about, involves sometimes events like cooking schools, stop smoking plans, chip programs, divorce recovery, etc., all of these are opportunities for you to connect with people in the community. But they are not an end in themselves. They're not an end in themselves. Let's talk about external focus. Have you ever uh, been to this place? They have a cool, they have a cool, I, 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 love, I love Taco Bell. In fact, uh, I told my wife I could have stayed in Asia the rest of my life, if there had just been one Taco Bell. <laughs> of course, I'm joking, but I love Taco Bell. But they have this saying here, think outside the what? Outside the bun. And you know, sometimes when we think of evangelism, we always think of the bun. We think of, well, we've got to do a cooking school. Well, that's a good thing. There might be people on your interest list that would benefit from that. But what I'm saying is, guys, as an outreach team, sit down and say, Lord... Help us be like Taco Bell. Help us think outside the bun. Help us get outside of our normal ways of doing things to connect with people. Let me give you some examples of this, okay? Though we don't believe it, we live as if sometimes the lost... We live as if the lost should come to us rather than we go to where the lost are. And so we need to be creative on how to connect with people. Let me give you an example. There is a, um, uh, an idea out there called Kingdom Assignments. Have any of you heard of this? You, have you heard of it? Kingdom Assignments basically says, listen, we are going to commit to you a certain amount of money. In fact, churches, I have a friend who's pastoring in British Columbia. He has, 
He gives a family who's interested $100. The church gives the family $100. And they are required in the next three months to prayerfully invest and multiply this talent for the kingdom. And then afterwards, take that money and invest it in some sort of missionary or project in the community. You know that he gave out $5,000 in his church. And after three months, it had multiplied to $50,000. And they went out into their community. They went into homes where uh, single mothers, you know, needed to have a total makeover type of thing. They redid the home. They went into the soup kitchen and they provided... I mean, the list goes on and on. Very creative. Another example is a church that knew that the morale and some of the... There were a lot of problems in the public school system. So they went out and bought 3,000 cards. Cards. Thank you cards. And personally wrote a note to every worker in that public school system. This is a large system. And janitors, teachers, principals, and said, we appreciate what you're doing to raise our kids, to educate our kids for the future. We know that you have a difficult job. We're praying for you. And if there's anything that we could do to partner with you, to help you in any way, large or small, please let us know. My name is Bob Falkenberg. Here's my phone number. Call me. Let me know if I could help. Then they mailed this out to all these people. (laughs) And you know what? It made such an impact. Those people were so touched that somebody thought of them. And before long, some of those members were helping clean bathrooms. They were helping do bulletin boards. They were helping repaint hallways. And guess what they're doing when they're doing these things? They are out of the salt shaker connecting with people in in their community. Isn't that great? Meeting their needs. Mingling with them as one who cared about them, like Ellen White says. We've got to be creative with how we get out into the community. Going through the neighborhood, asking for prayer requests, knocking on a door and saying, you know, we're from this church down here and we just like to pray for you. Is there anything we can pray for? A lot of times they'll say no. But sometimes they'll say, yeah, pray for my aunt. She's fighting cancer. You say, we will. What's her name? We'll pray for her. Two weeks later, you come back and you say, we've been praying for your aunt. How's she doing? It's another way. How about washing cars for free? Just standing out there, free car wash. Let people come through. They'll want to pay you. But you say, we're not accepting money. Why are you doing this? Because we just want to demonstrate to you in the community what the gift of God is like. He gave us eternal life for free. And here is something for you to read. Just things like this. You could go on and on. You could brainstorm. The important thing is to remember that sowing is the area of evangel living that takes the most time, takes the most effort, you have to be the most deliberate about, and you get your hands the dirtiest in terms of getting involved in people's lives. And don't forget the forest for the trees. What do I mean by that? You know how you can get so obsessed with one tree you forget that you're standing in a forest? What I'm saying is sometimes people get so obsessed with with this one program or this one event that they forget that that the chip program or this program really is only part of a larger lifestyle, a larger process of evangelism that involves moving, 
people along in their faith journey. Does that make sense? And so whatever you're doing, remember that six months from now, six months from now, you are going to be conducting your own evangelistic meeting. Now, I know you might be saying, forget it. That's not going to happen. It's impossible. Trust me, it can happen. Six months from now. So that means that what you're doing here, you want to do it with a clear purpose in mind. And that is that in six months, you want to invite this person and this person you're praying for and this person and this person. You want to invite them to your house because you're having a small group evangelistic meeting in a home. So think about the whole process, this, this lifestyle of evangelism. However, it is not an end in itself, but rather it's not just even an event. It's not just a campaign. Remember that evangel living is a lifestyle. It is an ongoing lifestyle of evangelism that involves the outreach team working together in community. If you were not here this last session, you didn't hear me talk about this. Ellen White is so clear that we need to organize ourselves into communities, into, into groups to encourage each other in the process of evangelism. You never saw Paul by himself. You always saw Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas and Mark and so forth. They work together. So the outreach team in your church that you go back and you organize yourself from your Sabbath school or from your friends and just say, you know, let's work together to be involved in evangelism. And so you work vigorously. You work deliberately at, the, at sowing. And when you sow, it's not an abstract. You're developing real names of an interest list people that you're praying for. And the reason that you have this list is because these are the people that you want to invite to come to your reaping event right here in six months, every six months. And then you will retain them through a process of getting them back out into the harvest. Yeah. What about getting uh, other denominations involved too? If you have like friends Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those are people you can invite. Absolutely. Get them involved in the sowing process. Okay? Absolutely. And by that I mean, these are people that need to know the three angels' message. So you develop those relationships as well. Yeah. Yes, we do. We do have those. And, uh, and, uh, and, and this is another thing. Some people say, well, when you're working the Share Him model, do you have to use the, the, the Truth For Today series that Share Him has developed? Well, listen, we are happy to, to put those in your hands. But you don't have to use those. You could use a New Beginnings. You could talk. You could use a prophecy seminar, revelation seminar. The tool is not the important thing. The most important thing is the lifestyle of evangelism that you are believing in, that you are living. I cannot emphasize that enough. The, the issue that confronts us in the North American division is not that we lack tools. It's not that we don't have anything to use. The problem that we have from, from uh, Key West to Nome, Alaska, is that, it's what, what Jesus talked about, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. We're lacking people who are committed to a lifestyle of evangelism, who are saying, Lord, here I am, send me, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to to live a lifestyle of evangelism. And what we're saying to you today is, don't try to do it alone. You're not a lone ranger. You're not a lone ranger. You need to connect with other people, okay, in, in your church. 
and organize an outreach team, an evangel-living team, whatever you want to call it. And the purpose of this team is to maintain each other accountable in this lifestyle of evangelism. And we have found that if you do reaping only once a year, it will be hard for you to stay focused. If you do reaping at least twice a year, that keeps that process going. Every six months, you're sowing, reaping, retaining, sowing, reaping, retaining. It's a cycle. That's what a lifestyle is. Always having a list of people you're praying for, working with, and every six months knowing that these people can be invited to these meetings. You know, folks, the fastest, one of the fastest growing churches in America, Adventist churches, Anglo Adventist churches, is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Do you know how many evangelistic meetings they had in 2007? Seven. Not one, two, three. They had seven evangelistic meetings. But do you think that that happened in a vacuum? What do you think is happening all the time in that church? Sowing, developing relationships. A person is baptized. They're immediately brought into this outreach team. They're immediately invited to bring their family at the next one that starts in six weeks to hear this wonderful message. And the process goes on. And the process goes on. The process goes on. But at the core is this outreach leadership team. This is a complete picture that involves evangel living. Evangel living. Again, folks, evangelism is not a Bible study. Evangelism is not only a crusade or a campaign. Evangelism is not handing a tract to somebody. All of those are included in evangelism. The biblical concept of evangelism is one where we are involved in a lifestyle of being concerned, of being focused on lost people. On lost people cannot say that enough and you cannot do it alone you need to work through an outreach team in your in, do, in your churches that you're in right now would you have people who would be interested in joining with you to form this kind of an outreach team would you i only heard two people say they would anybody else I'll look. you'll look how many people do you have to have in an outreach team i would say two is a good start and then you have the text that says where two or three are gathered so three is welcome what's the biggest team you want to have (laughs) actually that's a congregation (laughs) we recommend that you don't have any more than like 10 or 15 I mean 15 will be max because what happens when you have too big of a team you really don't feel like you're an integral part of it if you don't show up it's no problem they have so many other people it's a natural psychological factor so It's always open, and once you grow, you just divide into two teams. In the church where I go, we have eight evangelistic outreach teams going right now. And the third weekend of April, we are starting, now believe me, we are starting eight evangelistic meetings in that community. All done by those outreach teams. Is that a good thing or a bad? That's a great thing. And who's doing those evangelistic meetings? Who's doing the sowing? The groups, the lay people who are involved. The lay people are got their interest list. They're praying for them. They're visiting them. They're, they're developing new interests. The lay people are the ones that are going to come and preach themselves in their homes or maybe at Denny's on Sunday morning after they eat their pancakes. Do the meeting right there. Whatever. Lay involvement in a lifestyle. And guess what? When we finish those meetings at the beginning of May, 
Do we then kick our feet up in the air and say, well, we can just relax a year now. We don't have to worry about that. We get involved again because we know six months later, the third weekend of October, those same eight teams are going to do another weeping event. Now tell me, what would happen to your churches if every year outreach teams were conducting two evangelistic meetings a year and in between were constantly involved in reaching people for Christ, sowing? What do you think would happen to your church? Jesus would come. I really believe that. And if you look at the work, the church in areas of the world where it is growing rapidly, the characteristic that you find is that the lay people have a sense of ownership for the mission of this church as well as the message that we have. And the pastors are the equippers, the coaches, you might say, they're there to support. They cannot do it all. Impossible. Absolutely. Every new member that comes in, in fact, even before their members, bring them, and if they're willing, bring them into the outreach team. Bring them into the outreach team. If they come a part of the outreach team, they have a whole circle of friends that do not know anything about this message, and they will want them to know about it. And there you, all of a sudden, your interest list, you have to get page two and start working on it, because they bring all kinds of new interest. I just wanted to say that we, this is how we started. In June, we didn't have any evangelism in our church. So uh, we started by a revival meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we recruited people. We, we had an order call, and you'll be surprised. <laughs> More than 20 people uh, stood up and said, We want to join and be part of this group. Amen. And after that, we had about uh, four weeks of preparation, and we had an evangelistic meeting with Pastor Louis Torres. Yeah. Amen. And the neat thing about it is those new people are bringing their friends. Of course. Yeah. It's just a spiral. We can't stop it. Right? It's, amen. Amen. And folks, it's, and, and it doesn't end there. That one event, now you need to do it again six months from now. Don't, and next time, let Louis go somewhere else. You preach it and let the other people preach the sermons. Praise the Lord. There you go. There you go. Folks, this whole concept of evangelizing is, is counterculture in North America. I need to be very honest with you. Because we generally assign everything to little boxes. Everything is so neatly placed. Specialization is what I could call it. But what we're saying is, no, every member of the body of Christ, regardless of your spiritual gift. Some people say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't need to worry about the Great Gospel Commission. Is that true? No. No. Whatever your spiritual gift is, you are called upon to use that gift in order to further the Great Gospel Commission. Amen? Amen. Every one of us can do this. And I know God will bless you. Be bold. Think outside the bun. Uh, Whatever. (laughs) And, and God will use you. Yes, sister. You mentioned um, including the new members yes. or, or new mm-hmm. into the outreach team. Mm-hmm. Um, how would that work with you know, being well prepared and everything to preach or whatever? When it comes to... Sure. When it comes to preaching, obviously, um, you would want to give them good training. Um, and 
usually we work with conferences in, that hold boot camps to train the speakers. And most, we are working with over 20 different conferences now. It will just be a matter, if you go to our website, sharehim.org, on the right-hand side, you will see a list of all the conferences. If you are a part of one of those conferences, connect with them, and they can tell you when the next boot camp is. But the interesting thing is we have had non-Adventists come with us internationally to preach, non-Adventists. And we have had many cases where the people are preaching, and they come to the call, and they walk off, and they come forward on their own call, and are baptized. Just this summer, I had two people baptized that were non adventists in Tanzania with me, who went over there. One of them was preaching, and both of them were preaching, excuse me, both of them were preaching, had not been baptized. Young people, 18, 21 years old, had not been baptized, and they were touched. One girl went over there with us, and she was going to do the health talks. And she said to her aunt, I'm coming, but don't you think I'm going to become an Adventist? She says, I'm going for the sociological, anthropological reason. She says, I'm going to go check out Tanzania. Well, every night, she heard her cousin, who was 17 years old, preaching. And she's, I think, 19, and preaching this message. And she said to me, Bob... Pastor Bob, every time I heard her preach, I felt she was preaching right at me. And and she came forward, she gave her heart to Christ, and I baptized her in a river over there. Uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. So in other words, I would not say, oh, you're not an Adventist, so you cannot preach. I would say, this is exciting. Let's sit down and work with you. And let me tell you, whenever you preach this message and share this message, you will realize why, again, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. I'll tell you a story. My wife grew up an Adventist, okay? Married to an Adventist preacher who's heard, she's heard me do many evangelistic meetings. We went to Kenya a few years ago, and one of the speakers couldn't come. And they asked her, would you preach? I didn't ask her. Okay, that's, I, but somebody else asked her, would you preach this series of meetings? And she said, well, let me pray about it. And she asked me. I said, I'm not going there. I said, that's your decision. But I know that you'll make the right decision. She prayed about it. She said, yes. She would preach. She had one day preparation. Okay, one day preparation to preach. And you know what? When she finished that series of meetings, I'll never forget going down, there was this muddy pond where they had the baptism and she was greeting the people coming up from the baptism. Tears were running down her cheeks. And she said to me, Bob, for the first time now, I know why I am a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, now I could be offended by that. I mean, she's been sitting listening to me preach for years, and she's gone to Adventist schools and, and everything. But now, for the first time, she knew. Why is that? She wrestled. She digested herself. It was her. She had to understand it, and then she preached it with conviction. Now she understood where it all, all the pieces fit together. Folks, it's an adventure. And let me say something I said before, and some of you come to everyone, some of you are new every time, so I'm sorry if I repeat myself, but I feel like I need to back up some for those who are not, have not been here before. But it is in the process of sharing your faith that you experience some of the most exhilarating and wonderful spiritual growth. In other words, we live, we love to live in our comfort zone, but when we involve ourselves in evangel living, we have to live in the faith zone. We have to live by faith. And that is great for your faith with Jesus Christ. Let's stand together because I think my time is up. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity you have given us to be a part of this great gospel commission. You could have done it yourself. 
As you said, you could even, you could even at some point have the rocks cry out, but we have the privilege of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And as Seventh-day Adventist, Lord, you have given us this message, an important message at this time of earth's history. Please let us be faithful. Help us to be faithful. Help us to live a lifestyle of evangelism. Bless everyone that is here. May your Holy Spirit fill them. Give them courage. Give them faith that they will go home and redefine their paradigm, that they will be active in a lifestyle of evangelism to recruit a a team that will take this journey with them. And we thank you in advance for hearing our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.